You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. So I have uh, in my notes, insert Father's Day joke here and did not insert a Father's Day joke, so you guys don't get one. Sorry about that. Um, So we're going to jump right in to the Word of God, because I'm awful at introductions. So, if you will turn with me to Mark 7, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the end of every row, and you can kind of, you know, raise your hand, and somebody on the end will pass you one. If you don't own a copy of scripture, we try to say this every week, then please take ours home. Um, we think it's super important that you have a copy of scripture for yourself at home to be able to read. And um, if you want one that isn't covered with coffee stains, then talk to me or Sam or one of the other elders and we'll make sure to get you one. But it's, we see it as super important that you have a copy of scripture. So uh, Mark 7, um, we're going to be, we have a lot to cover this morning because we have a lot of, um, it's a a long passage, so I'm going to jump right into it and read this, and then we will start talking about it. So starting in verse 1 of Mark chapter 7, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he, this Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. 
All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That is the word of the Lord this morning. So we are journeying through Mark, as you can tell. Um, And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we kind of made this shift in the book of Mark, where now we are kind of on the path toward the cross. Jesus has kind of made a shift in his ministry where now he is focused on journeying toward the cross to completing his ministry. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks that Jesus is kind of in the middle of this intense surge in popularity that he's going through right now. He has been traveling around, healing people, casting out demons, and he even sent out his disciples to go and continue the work of the ministry, to preach the message, to heal the sick, cast out demons, and his name has really gotten out there. He's become more and more and more popular as he's gone, and all the way up to the point where even the leaders of the land are hearing about Jesus and wondering who he is. And so we come into this space where he's just gotten finished doing incredible things. He, his disciples came back from being sent out and they all decided we need to go get away. We're exhausted, we're tired, we need to go get away and just be together. So they go out to a desolate place. Unfortunately for them, the crowds know where they're going somehow and make it there before them. So they get there, Jesus has compassion on them, he teaches, and then he feeds thousands of people from a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And then he goes back into the towns and just walks through towns and people are being healed just by touching his robe. So Jesus is in this place of incredible popularity right now. And we have the Pharisees and scribes show up. They finally catch up to Jesus. And we already saw earlier in Mark that they've already decided that they're going to kill him. They've decided they can't handle this guy. They're not going to put up with him and they are seeking a way to kill him. So they show up and Jesus is incredibly popular. He's got massive crowds following him. They don't know what to do. They can't really attack him because he's extremely popular. So what they decide to do in this passage is they decide to go after his disciples. And it's interesting because they actually have a great case against the disciples here. Jesus' disciples are eating their meal with defiled or unwashed hands. And we need to talk a little bit about that because it doesn't just mean that they are gross and don't like to wash their hands before they eat. It's actually a ritual system of purity, of washing their hands that the Pharisees and the Jews have that they follow. So the Pharisees and, you know, kind of a line of rabbis going back had created this religious tradition system of washing your hands, and that's just a part of an entire system of clean and unclean, various practices and things that they were supposed to do in order to maintain their purity. And so in order to be a good Jew, you followed this tradition. So um, one of the things that they focus on here 
is this washing of hands. So under this tradition, there were, you were required to wash your hands before or after anything that was going to potentially make you unclean. So a couple of examples of different things. Whenever you clipped your fingernails, you had to wash your hands. Whenever you touched the sweat from your body that was covered up by clothing, a body part that was covered up by clothing, you had to wash your hands. After you bathe, you had to wash your hands. Before prayer, um, before breaking bread that only comes from one of the five primary grains, um, before eating food that requires dipping in sauce, and after eating a meal where salt is served, and also whenever you wake up from sleep, you were required to wash each hand separately three different times to make sure to wash the evil spirits away from your fingers. So there's others that it's just a part of it, but basically the system was extremely ritualistic and time intensive. It took a lot of effort and time to keep up with this system and make sure that you were following it correctly. And like I said, this was just a part of the entire system of clean and unclean that the Jewish leaders specifically the Pharisees, were holding people to. Now, the system of clean and unclean, of purity, was established in the Mosaic Old Testament laws. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, just to make sure that we have a decent grasp on it, because it obviously is very important for this um, this passage today. So in the Old Testament law books, God, through Moses, gives his people a set of rules that they are supposed to follow. It's called the law, and basically there are cleanliness laws built into it, things that are supposed to keep you clean or make you unclean, and how to avoid that. And it's not necessarily about actual personal hygiene, it's about ritual cleanliness, things that keep you holy, that keep you pure. And so there are two real things that these laws are centered around. They're supposed to identify the nation of Israel as the people of God and set them apart. And then they are also supposed to keep your personal right standing with God correct so that then you can go and make your sacrifice as a person who is clean. And over time, the Jewish leaders and rabbis from the time that the law was given with, through Moses all the way up to the Pharisees, they began to interpret and extend these laws. They called it the oral tradition. And basically, a whole bunch of rabbis decided over hundreds of years that in order to keep those laws sacred, they needed to extend them. They needed to add more laws and make sure that no one broke the original laws. So they called it building a wall around the Torah. They wanted to make sure that the Mosaic laws were not broken. So they made new laws that were more restrictive in order to keep people from going anywhere near breaking the Mosaic laws. And by the time we get to the Pharisees, it has you know, this extra-biblical set of laws that they've come up with has become something that they call the tradition of the elders, and it has become extremely important to the Pharisees. It's probably as important as the original Mosaic laws. And so they are trying to hold the Jews to this set of laws. 
And that's where we get this conflict between the Jews and between the Pharisees and Jesus. So the Pharisees show up and they find that the disciples are not following this tradition of the elders. They're not washing their hands ritually before eating their bread. And they thought, we've got them. We win. This is awful and we can easily point this out and embarrass Jesus and his followers in front of all of these people. So that's what they do. They come up, they question Jesus, and this showdown between the, between the Pharisees and Jesus here is, I think it's easy to kind of pass over, but it's really pretty intense. You know, in the Pharisees' corner, they have this entire weight of religious tradition that has been established all the way back to the beginning of their people and has been, you know, continued and grown until it has extreme significance for them. And Jesus and his followers were not following this. Jesus was a rabbi, and he was not following the teachings of the rabbis. So the Pharisees think they've got it made. They have Jesus backed into a corner. And so Jesus responds. And it's really interesting how he responds, because I don't think he responds how they were hoping he would. First, he just turns and immediately starts attacking them. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend his disciples. He just turns and attacks. He starts pointing out the hypocrisy that they are holding on to in following their own man-made traditions instead of the traditions of God, instead of the rules and laws of God. They were so worried about these traditions of the elders that they were completely ignoring and even twisting the actual Mosaic law to fit what they wanted and to twist those laws to fit under their tradition of the elders. We'll come back to that in a few more minutes, but I just want you to notice that in verse 6, Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah that shows that God is far more interested in a heart that is committed to him than a person who says or does all of the right things. We've seen that in several passages that have been read this morning. And that's how Jesus responds. And then second, he ignores the Pharisees and turns back to bring all of the people into this conflict, and he immediately starts hammering the message of the gospel. He says, we're all inherently unclean because of sin, and nothing outside of us could possibly make us unclean. I think it's amazing that Jesus doesn't even really engage the Pharisees on the level that they wanted here. He goes way further than anybody ever even brought up into completely denouncing their religious traditions and even speaking out against the way that they view and uphold God's law. So let's break this down a bit. Like we said, in the Mosaic Laws, the laws for purity revolved around a couple of things specifically. Generally, it was about food, so what is clean and unclean as far as what you can eat, Uh, leprosy and various diseases, and how those things make you unclean, and then finally, how the priests needed to ritually clean themselves in order to be pure to present the sacrifice for the people. So it's interesting that these ritual washing laws that the Pharisees and the rabbis had come up with are sort of based in Scripture, but they're actually 
laws that God had given to the priests and the Levites specifically to make sure that they are pure when they're presenting the sacrifice for the people. So the Pharisees had taken these laws and turned them into something that they weren't really originally meant to be. The Pharisees used religious ritual to attempt to make themselves pure and righteous. And along with that, they were also using those rituals, those traditions, to elevate themselves above other people, to show themselves as righteous and those who didn't follow them as unrighteous or unclean. And along with that, they were using their religious traditions to find ways to get around the scriptural laws that God had already given. So Jesus recognizes this hypocrisy. He calls it out in them. And he uses a passage from Isaiah to accuse them of honoring God by word only and not with their hearts. And I want us to look at a different passage in Isaiah. But uh, in the very first chapter, I'll just read this. You don't necessarily need to turn to there. But um, if you want to, it's the first chapter in Isaiah. And it's going to be in verses 10 through 18. And basically, the book of Isaiah is broken up into multiple visions and multiple prophecies by Isaiah. And this one specifically really focuses on this passage. It focuses on the theme that is found here. This is the heart of it. Starting in verse 10, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So right off the bat, he starts out by calling the Jewish people that he's speaking to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is just a you know, general term used for referring to the worst kind of people. Sodom and Gomorrah were seen as the evil, most sinful cities that God had completely wiped off the face of the map. And so he's starting out with a real fun uh, accusation. And he says... What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So Isaiah, speaking as the voice of God, tells these people that God doesn't even want their sacrifices anymore. They had twisted this system that God had established to provide them a way to worship into this system of being clean and unclean that allowed them to find righteousness on their own, that allowed them to completely ignore what God wanted, a heart that is devoted to him, and allowed them to basically cover over their sins with these sacrifices. And he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So God is telling the people all the way back in the book of Isaiah, he doesn't want their sacrifices anymore because they no longer mean anything. The people had fallen into following religious tradition instead of true worship, and God is sick of it. He tells them that they bring sacrifices to him with hands covered in blood. He tells them to wash themselves clean, but he says that what he means is that they would do good, that they would care for the fatherless, that they would seek justice for the oppressed and the widow. The truth of what is revealed in the Old Testament is that the people couldn't and didn't actually follow the laws that God gave. They were too sinful. Their hands were filled with blood because their hearts were filled with sin. As much as the Pharisees, when we get to them, as much as the Pharisees wanted to scrub their hands and wash their hands, they simply just couldn't wash away the stain of their wicked hearts. Jesus knows that. He doesn't even bother engaging the Pharisees about those Old Testament laws versus the tradition of the elders because he knows that their hearts are not in the right place. Instead, using the example of food, he takes the Jewish concept of clean and unclean and completely just turns it on its head. In verse 14, he says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. The disciples are confused about what this teaching means because it doesn't accord with not only the religious tradition, but it doesn't even seem to match up with the Old Testament laws that they are supposed to be following. Jesus went from calling out the Pharisees as hypocrites for not following the Old Testament laws to giving a declarative statement to the people that seems to be in contradiction to the Old Testament laws that they were, their entire society was built upon. I think it's really cool how Mark speaks into this and he gives us this little commentary piece in the middle of when Jesus is explaining to his disciples about what he said. In verse 19, he says he interjects into the middle of what Jesus is saying that Jesus just declared all foods clean, which is 100% against what the Old Testament taught. The Old Testament Mosaic law is very clear that some food is not clean, that, and not by clean and unclean. He doesn't mean that it's covered in dirt. He means that some food is not pure. It's not okay for the Jews to eat. So Jesus steps in here and directly changes that law. Instead of engaging with the Pharisees on this level that they were trying for, Jesus comes in and starts directly changing the entirety of the system of laws that their people are founded upon. He says that Anything that comes into your body doesn't make you unclean because you're already unclean from the sin that's in your heart. The Jews had been taught all their lives that the religious system of purity and sacrifice was how they could engage with God, how they could be made right before God, that they had to avoid the unclean 
and practice the things that made them clean. And that they needed to be separate from others who were unclean. But Jesus came and said something completely countercultural. And he lived his life in a completely countercultural way. He did not separate himself from the unclean. We see story after story of Jesus going out and mixing himself in with those who are diseased, with the lepers, with the people who are unclean, the people who should be avoided. And he even feeds the people. He does all these things, and yet his contact with them does not make him unclean. He remains clean. He is righteous, and he's so clean that his contact with the unclean actually transfers to them and makes them whole. Jesus establishes a new way of doing things here that, he, that we call the new covenant. This is one where instead of the old covenant, the old laws, where the people were supposed to be separate from the unclean, this is one where he does not separate his people out from the others. Instead, he sends his people to those who are unclean. His way was one where you did not become clean from the outside in by religious ceremony, but instead you became clean from the inside out by the saving work of Jesus. His way was one where religious tradition did not define who you were, but instead you were defined by the love of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees stumbled into this thinking that they could trap Jesus by accusing him and his disciples of not following their religious tradition. And instead of this, instead of disagreeing with that religious tradition, he just completely changed everything that they believed. He made a different way. We say that in this portion of Mark, Jesus is moving towards the cross. Here he's making a different way because soon the people won't need to make sacrifices or practice ritual washing in order to try to become clean because he's going to change those things at the cross with his death when he will be the ultimate sacrifice. In Hebrews 10, turn with me there if you would. The writer is talking about this. The book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people and the writer is talking about who Jesus is and how that has changed who we are. And in chapter 10, starting in verse 1, he's talking about this dynamic between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the system that was established was one that was never going to actually save the people. It was impossible for the blood of an animal sacrifice to actually save them, to actually wash away their sin, because sin is sin is a heart issue and not 
an issue of external things. So it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus steps in and he says to God, those sacrifices aren't enough. You have given me a body. I'm going to give my body as the ultimate sacrifice. And that sacrifice is what allows us, what allows the people to be finally sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And it says, And every priest stands daily at his surface, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified." Jesus is the completion of the Old Covenant. He is the fulfillment of it, and he established a new covenant. It's amazing that the Pharisees are still stuck in this mindset of religious tradition and trying to argue these old laws that Jesus has arrived to do away with and establish a new way of doing things. And so that's what he focuses on. That's what he does. The people don't really get it at this point because it hasn't been completed. But this is the message that Jesus said he came to preach, the message of the gospel. And that's the interaction here. Now, I want to turn to application for a couple minutes and talk about how this actually applies to us, how we can take this story, what Jesus says, this interaction between him and the Pharisees and the people, and apply it to our own lives. What does Jesus want us to do with it? First off, if you're not already a believer in Jesus Christ, I really would ask you to sit with this story for a little bit this morning. If you were under the impression that being a Christian was about a religious set of laws of do's and don'ts, I hope that this story shows you that that's not what it is about. Being a Christian is about realizing that salvation comes from a person, not a set of rules. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the laws of the old covenant and established a new covenant with any who wanted it, that if they only believe in him as their savior, then he will pour his own, clean, his own cleanness, his own purity and righteousness into them and wash them clean from the inside out. His people are no longer defined by what they eat or how they wash or what religious practices they follow, but instead by who they believe in and how his love sends them out. Now, if you're in here and you're already a believer, 
I think there's a couple of things that we need to really sit with this morning and hear from this passage and evaluate our own lives. First off, I think we need to check ourselves against how the Pharisees are interacting with Scripture and be very sure that we aren't living like they are. The Pharisees were so sure of their religious traditions and convictions that they thought that they had attained righteousness through them. What the Pharisees had actually achieved was a system that allowed them to hide their sin behind their religious tradition and behind closed doors. Their traditions were so important to them that they allowed them to ignore the hard truths of Scripture that call us sinners and push us towards a Savior. What we need is the gospel message of Jesus Christ, not blind adherence to religious tradition that causes us to miss Jesus and what he's doing. We need to be very careful to consider how we have allowed our own ideas of right and wrong, our own ideas of morality, or our religious traditions to supplant the importance of the gospel in our own lives. Scripture is the foundation for everything that we believe, not religious tradition. That doesn't mean that religious traditions are bad inherently, but we need to be very sure that our religious traditions or the things that we do are based in Scripture and not just on what we've been taught or told is right. I think we need to ask ourselves, what practices or programs in our church or in our lives personally Do we follow simply because it's tradition and not because it's based in the Word of God? Secondly, the Pharisees had established this entire gigantic system that elevated themselves. They used ritual and tradition to separate themselves from those that they classified as unclean, or another translation of that word is common. They prided themselves in the barriers that they had erected to keep other people away from the holiness of God. They had an entire religious system of tradition that allowed them to see themselves as clean and others as unclean. In Matthew 23, Jesus just spends a lot of time putting the Pharisees on full blast. And one of the things he says in verse 13 is he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Church, I think we need to take a serious look at our own lives and make sure we are not shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces because of our religious traditions. What barriers to the work of the gospel have we erected in our own lives because of our ideas of religious tradition or what is clean or unclean? How have we separated ourselves out from the very people who need the gospel message of Jesus Christ because we want to see ourselves as clean and them as unclean. Jesus did not work that way, and he does not call us to work that way. The Pharisees wanted to be known by what separates them out from other people, but Jesus called his people to go and be a part of other people, to go and bring the message of the gospel, to go and bring healing to those who were considered unclean. The Pharisees wanted to be righteous, so they avoided the unclean in order to keep themselves pure. But Jesus 
provides righteousness for us and then sends us out to give that righteousness to others. We need to evaluate our own lives and see where religious tradition or fear of the unclean is keeping us from doing the work that Jesus sent us to do. Lane, you can go ahead and come up. I just want us to spend a couple of minutes just thinking about these things, thinking about our lives, praying and asking the Spirit to show us in our own lives where we may have erected these barriers, where we may have seen other people as unclean and been afraid of being among them, or where we may have religious traditions that we hold fast to that are keeping us away from the truths of the gospel. We have been given a mission by Jesus to go and preach the gospel to those who need it. We need to be a church that is far more worried about sending the hope of the gospel to the world than how we can avoid things that make us uncomfortable. That's what I want us to think about and pray about this morning. So let's do that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.